Welcome everyone to Faces and Feels. I'm your host, Rafe Houston, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. He is the creator and owner of DoubleHell.com and Deathmatch Worldwide. It is Corey Higdon. How are you today, sir? I'm good, Rafe. How are you doing, man? Thank you for having me on. Oh, no worries, dude. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with uh, Corey's work, uh, he has a couple of online stores. He sells merch for independent wrestlers. Uh, I came into contact with Corey just after my interview with Neil Diamond Cutter. I wanted to buy a, a Neil shirt, show my support, and his shirts were up on Deathmatch Worldwide and... Sure enough, Corey sent me one across the entire world, and I thought it'd be really cool to like just hear about his story and and how he ended up where he is. So, Corey, before before we jump into any of the Deathmatch Worldwide stuff or any of that, how about you tell me about your sort of first interactions with pro wrestling, man? Um, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, in the states, and Louisville has a really rich history with professional wrestling. Um. Uh, you know, back into the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all that. And it, it was pretty much something where uh, I, I grew up into it in my household. My my mother was a fan, my father was a fan, but more so, like, even at a younger age, it stuck to me so much more yeah. than anybody else. And it was something that I was just extremely fascinated with. And... Um, you know, I, I would go to live shows at the at the Louisville Gardens, and I would just I watched everything from USWA to WWF at the time, WCW. Um, the big game changer for me was ECW. Yeah. And, and you know, like I feel like that's a lot of people's stories. Like as soon as I saw ECW, it it's completely screwed me up. That's what a lot of people um, say, and it's weird for me because like. Though I now know what ECW is and I've gone back and I've watched stuff and that, I missed it completely. Like, it wasn't in Australia. It wasn't readily available for me. So, like, I didn't find out about ECW till way later. So, I feel like the journey that I inevitably ended up on in, you know, uh, digging more aggressive stuff and, and... liking death matches and all that kind of stuff. Definitely would have happened a lot sooner had I run into ECW first. Right. Well, it was it was almost too available to me. Yeah, to okay. Where it, just, uh, it consumed me so much. I remember, see, I'm 34 now, mm-hmm. and I found ECW when I was 10 years old, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it came on. It, it was so. It was such a like a small time frame that it would come on every week. It would come on Friday nights on uh, a channel called uh, WYCS Channel Twenty Four, and it was just it, it, just a, a crappy crappy TV channel that had like no other real programming on it. It was almost a public access channel. Yeah, right. you know, it was like a it was like a step above a public access channel. But Friday nights at from seven o'clock to seven thirty, it was on for thirty minutes. Yeah. So they would maybe out. squeeze in one match. Yeah. And then it was a bunch of promos, and I would set up my VCR to record it and watch it. Then you know, of course, it, I was left with this void. Like, damn, all these other wrestling shows are one hour, two hour, three hours long, and ECW, the craziest shit I've ever seen, is only thirty minutes long. Yeah. Then I found out that uh, around 
I believe it was like two o'clock in the morning on WYC or uh, WBNA Channel Twenty One. ECW would come on for one whole hour, and it was a completely different ECW like like taping. Yeah. So I had dual VCRs set up recording Friday and Saturday nights every week, and I think I still have all of these stacks of ECW TV taped episodes and just on like VHS laying around. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got tons of VHS laying around in here. Yeah, yeah. I've got um, I have like I don't know five or six boxes of VHS down in our storage that I just like liberated from the internet. Like there was this guy posting on some forum or something was like, I've got all these old Japanese wrestling tapes and stuff like that. They were my friends. I don't watch it, but I know that somebody will want this if you want it, <laughs> kind of come get it. And I'm like, where you at? So I haven't even watched it. He even gave me a VCR and stuff. So I've got it down there. I don't even know what gold I've got down there, but one day I've just got to like start making my way through it and see like kind of what legendary shit there is because there's a lot of boxes eh? <laughs> like just stacked full of it. Oh, I can imagine, dude. Uh, you know, I, I loved coming across stuff like that when when friends would hit me up and, and I would hang out at their house and I would see they just had boxes of wrestling tapes and they're yeah. like, oh, I don't watch it shit anymore. I'm like... So I can take these home. Right? I don't even care what's on them. It was wrestling. Yeah. And I think uh, the the other big corner that I turned was there was two. One is when ECW did their very first pay-per-view, Barely Legal, mm-hmm. in 97. And there was a kid I knew in elementary school whose dad had, like, this, uh, this black cable box where he could record things illegally. Oh, yeah. And... He streamed that illegally, recorded it onto a VHS tape, brought it to me. Uh, my friend brought it to me in the, I think I was in the third or fourth grade, like that Monday, and all it said on it really big was barely legal. Yeah. And okay. I had it in my locker, and one of the teachers saw that I was showing kids a VHS tape called barely legal. <laughs> oh, no. They thought I had porn. Yeah. And I had to explain to them that it was wrestling show, and I, you know, got in trouble and this and that. But um, the other thing was, I uh, was at a local music store around that same time, and uh, I, I feel like, at least in the states, I feel like a lot of people have this same story. Uh, I was looking through the VHS tapes, and I came across ICP Stranglemania. Okay. And are, are you like? So Stranglemania was basically it was I'm not an insane clown posse fan. Not a really. juggalo. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Unfortunately. I know a lot of juggalos, but I'm not one myself. Yeah. Um I came across this tape and it was basically the King of the Deathmatch nineteen ninety five tournament from Japan and a bunch bunch of other like random Japanese death matches. Mm-hmm. And it was ICP doing commentary over it, and I thought at the time, I you know ECW was the craziest shit I'd ever seen, and I saw this and I went, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah, it's wild, it was right? Madness. And I took it home, and that was the one that was the absolute game changer from then on. I came across Mr. Pogo, uh, Matsunaga, you know, uh, Shoji Nakamaki, all of like the old yeah. school. Deathmatch legends from Japan, yeah. and after that, that that was it. Like no other type of wrestling was 
was fun to me. Yeah. Like, I needed to see violence constantly from, like, the time I was 11 until now. <laughs> okay, that seems like <laughs> concerning. Uh, what, what, um, so your parents, you said they, they were a fan. What do they then think? I imagine they're probably a bit of a fan of a bit more kind of traditional kind of wrestling. What are they thinking when they're catching you watching ECW or FMW and Japanese death matches and all this crazy shit <laughs> at 11? It was, it was pretty worrisome to them, <laughs> um, especially because I was, I was pretty hyper. I was an only child. Yeah. So I, you know, when, even when I wasn't hanging out with my friends, I, I spent a lot of time to myself and I always had like a huge imagination. So I was always like up to something. I was always doing something and I was a little stupid, like a little crazy. Like I'd always do dumb shit that I knew I wasn't supposed to do. And my dad was the one who first showed me ECW. Yeah. Okay. And when that took off, he was like, Oh man, he, Corey is really into this. He's like, he I fucked up. up. <laughs> well, not yet. Not yet. You know, it was like the, the ECW was kind of like the gateway drug to Japanese death matches. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when they found out about that, you know, they were like, oh, oh God, what, what is this? Like, there was a few times they wanted to take it away from me because, of course, I was like 11 years old. Yeah. And uh, it was. They thought I was watching like snuff films, basically. Yeah, it looked yeah. like somebody was getting murdered. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it became really worrisome when they would see me, you know, trying to light stuff on fire and throw <laughs> myself in it. Uh, you know, jumping off the house for fun, like. <laughs> oh, no. I, have, I was that backyard wrestling kid who yeah. did all the dumb shit, and my parents were just like. Oh, they gave me a lot of freedom, but I think at one point they realized there was no helping me. So <laughs> we just got to let him go, and hopefully this works out. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man, uh, the, it it would be quite concerning, and I f- I find like when I show it to people now, even like it can be quite concerning to people when they they first see stuff like that because it's pretty visceral, right? Like for me, oh, it's not even about the. The gore, you know what I mean? The the blind stuff like that. I don't actually like anybody to be hurt, you know, when I watch it. But there's something about when you watch death matches that it's just so, like, shocking that it's it's really exciting every time you watch it. Plus, it doesn't drag out, you know what I mean? It's in and out, and it's balls to the wall, um, and you can't help but just to be like this, just like, holy shit, like every time. <laughs> and that's so fun. Like, And especially when you see it live. So I, I've told the story on here, but I'll tell you. Um, when I first saw Deathmatch Wrestling, it was not on any tapes or anything like that. Like I said, I wasn't uh, exposed to ECW. I'd never seen... Japanese deathmatch wrestling and stuff. I went on to kind of know what it was, but I wasn't really interested nor never saw it out. We were in Japan for Wrestle Kingdom. Um, It was, was it 12? Um, We'd been to Japan before, but our first big wrestling trip that we were going there. Um, And we went to Kurakan Hall to see Zero One because um, a friend's brother was there and she was like, you should go check it out. And so we did that. And when we were there, they gave us like flyers for all the other stuff that was on Freedoms, Big Japan, stuff like that. And I've got this big flyer. They're really cool. They do this big A4 sheet 
and it's got like all the matches and it lists what it is. It's got the big, you know, the deathmatch title and the strong title and all that kind of stuff. And it's got a deathmatch title headlining and it's like 500 light tube deathmatch and it's uh, <laughs> Abdullah Kobayashi versus Takeda's partner from the Crazy Lovers. Or- anyway, and I go to the girls, I'm like, we were just like trying to see as much wrestling as we could, right? Karakun Hall is an amazing venue. You can just bring your drinks in. Like it's a good, yeah, it's yeah, a good it's fucking time. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. And so I go, do we want to check out this one? It's literally tomorrow night. And they're like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, it's got like death matches on it though. There'll be like bleeding and stuff. Are you guys cool with that? This is my wife and uh, our friend Momo. And they're like, yeah, whatever, we'll check it out. And you watch that first like all light tube death match in real life. Like that's my first exposure to it. <laughs> the ropes covered in the rings. Dude gets thrown into it. The pop. People in the front row are wearing ponchos because they're getting covered in glass and stuff. And we're just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> And then that's me. Then I'm just about it. You know what I mean? Because it's like such this visceral, amazing spectacle to see live, you know, and it's shocking. And then you you leave there. You're pretty loaded. You're drinking strong zeros. You're having a good time. You leave there and you go into the lobby and then just all the wrestlers are out there. Like the champion's just like covered in blood like holding his belt and just fans are like hanging off him and getting photos there covered his blood. This is not COVID-19 safe. Luckily that wasn't a thing at the time, but it, it was wild as hell. And we were just like, Oh, we're going to do more of this. <laughs> like for sure. It's, you know, like, um, I know one of my favorite things to do is like, especially when like people will say like, Oh, well, what do you do for a living? And I'll tell them, you know, um, uh, you know, currently I'm the biggest distributor of deathmatch T-shirts in the world right yeah. now. Uh-huh. It's still weird for me to say, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 true, it's true mm-hmm. right now. But uh, one of my favorite things to do is to show people what deathmatch wrestling is uh-huh. when they ask me, and their reactions. I always just wait for their reactions because it's I always get a kick out of it. But you know, yeah, you're right. Seeing it live is completely different, and I feel like even for for people who aren't necessarily wrestling fans when they go to see a deathmatch live it is an experience that you're not going to forget and and i think most people would enjoy it too because like when you watch it on camera right like it's up close and you can kind of see some wounds and stuff and that can be kind of a bit you know maybe squeamish for some people and things like that but when you see it live you're back you can see this blood and you can see this thing's going on but you're not really in it as much and so the noises are there and the craziness and stuff and you're seeing it happen but it's not quite as intimate and it's more of like a a party kind of setting i guess yeah it's it's, it's definitely a, a party if you you take in the whole environment the experience for what it is and you you go to be entertained and just be open minded you're going to have a blast. I don't care who you are. I know like my, my fiance, uh, when we first started dating about uh, six years ago, um, we had never really like gone out and, and done things uh, other than just going out to eat and hanging out and everything. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she knew I was into death metal and hard music, horror movies. She knew I was into deathmatch wrestling, but she had never really like experienced it. Right around this time, um, the IWA King of the Death Matches 2015 weekend was coming. And I thought to myself, you know, we've been dating a couple weeks. This is going to be a big test for her. If I can, <laughs> if I can take her with it and yeah. she can 
have a good time and not be freaked out and completely run away screaming from me, then we're good. And, you know, here we are. We're engaged now. Yeah. <laughs> but she had an absolute blast. And I remember, the like, one of the first matches, the crowd pop, and everybody's just losing their shit. The wrestlers are going off. There's weapons flying everywhere. And I remember the look on her face was a gigantic smile. And I thought, oh, my God, this is so great. Yeah, this like, is, so this great. is the one right here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was that. Was that. She, she got me, and yeah. I was like, yes. Exactly. She's we're not good. like, oh, this is some crazy murderous guy that likes violence or a violent person. <laughs> He likes a spectacle, and he likes the showmanship, and he likes everything that is wrestling. You know, so that that's pretty awesome. It's the same with with my wife. You know, like I wasn't. I got back into wrestling while we were together and had been dating for a couple of years when we started getting back into it, sort of together at the same time because she used to like it a little bit when she was a kid. But then the deeper I've gotten into it, she's just always come along for the ride, which is pretty awesome. You know, and. She ended up, her and, like I said, my our friend Momo, um, who designed, like, the logo for my podcast and I was super talented lady, um, they they ended up becoming huge fans of New Japan as well and to the point where until COVID happened, like, we been, like, five years in a row, like, constantly going to Japan, checking out, you know, Wrestle Kingdom, seeing as many shows as we can, Freedoms, Big Japan, DDT, you know, zero one, like whatever we could kind of fit in as well as just like traveling as much as we can. And it, it's pretty awesome to share that with somebody and well, yeah, have somebody absolutely. that gets it, you know, like she supports this podcast, really? sitting in a cupboard talking to strangers. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, she gets I it. And that was the fact that, that you, that you've been in Japan. That's, that's been one of the places I've wanted to go for as long as I can remember. Cause you know, not just being a deathmatch fan, like, I'm 100% a deathmatch guy through and through, but I really love professional wrestling as well. And when it when it comes to pro wrestling, I'm all about the old school, you know, especially like um, late 80s, early 90s, all Japan era. Mm -hmm. Is there's there was not another there will probably never be another era like that in all of professional wrestling. I mean. From, you know, Misawa to Kobashi to Dr. Death, Terry Gordy, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen. I mean, you know, the Jumbo Saruta, everybody. The There was – that time was ridiculous. I was obviously way too young yeah. being born in 87 to really experience that. But that is another part of wrestling that I really, really hold close to my heart that means a lot to me. It's – there's, it's an unmatched era in pro wrestling, in my opinion. Yeah, anytime like I go back or somebody links me a match or something from that era, it's always unbelievable. I'm kind of hoping there's a ton of that stuff in those tapes down in storage, to be honest, because it'd be nice to just be able to burn through a ton of it, you know, without having. Because I wonder, actually, that's a good question. I do have access to all Japan streaming service. I wonder how far that goes back. You got me thinking now. Maybe maybe I do maybe I have better access to it than I even realized. I didn't even know all Japan had a streaming service. Yeah, they do. It's cool. You got me thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called um Oh, there we go. It's all Japan TV. So ajpw.tv. They're doing Champion Carnival at the moment. So that's my like next thing to 
go back to the start of this current one, kind of make my way through. Because I haven't been a big All Japan fan. My friend has been trying to get me into it kind of thing. So I, I watched a couple of pay-per-views. I watched uh, Jun Kasai um, win their TV belt and stuff like that. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. And there's definitely some good stuff there. I want to dig a little bit deeper on them for sure. Because I yeah, historically sure. hadn't hadn't been like really exposed to them, but they're yeah they do they do some cool stuff as well. They're the only ones I haven't seen live. I'm pretty sure because they always seem to run head to head with something I'm already going to. <laughs> and I was like, I need to get over and see it. But I I think there's like possibilities there for sure. Um, so where does it go from like the kid who's jumping off the house and and stuff <laughs> like that? Um, what's the next ex- escalation? So do, did you actually do a bit of backyard wrestling? Did you have like a backyard wrestling league with your friends and all that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, I had quite a few. You know, um, we had belts. We had entrance musics. We recorded the shows. We had we would book all the matches and cut promos and everything, and it was, uh, it was a really fun time in my life. Uh, you know, being a kid that really just didn't have anything to do but worrying about when the next backyard wrestling show was and to get weapons for it and stuff. And, <laughs> you know, like, uh, the older I got, the the more a lot of my friends grew out of wrestling. Uh-huh. And a lot of those friends that I grew up watching wrestling with, we kind of, like, we kind of, like, separated and kind of went our ways the older we got in the middle school and high school. And it, it became a point where... Pretty much everybody I was hanging out with, almost none of them were wrestling fans. They actually all thought it was stupid. Um, they thought it was boring and pointless. So I would just never talk about it, and I'd say, "Okay, I'm going to keep this shit to myself." And whenever I'm, you know, whenever I'm on my own and not hanging out with, you know, all my buddies and stuff, I would go to wrestling shows. I would sit at home and watch wrestling all day. They they knew it, but it was like it was pointless for me to even bring it up because it was just going to be met with, oh, this stuff is so fake, it's so stupid, yeah, and I'm yeah. just going to, yeah, I know, then just let me enjoy yeah. it. Then. It's a testament to how much you liked it as well because when you're young and you can be kind of influenced like that, it's very easy to give it up, you know what I mean? To just continue right. to watch it whenever you can and stuff like that on your own is is exactly what that is, you know? That's kind of what my entire fandom has been because nobody has ever cared about it. You know, my wife doesn't, you know, and and things because I do and stuff like that. But like growing up in Geraldton, which is a country town from, you know, from here, I'm in the Perth city here. Um, Like I showed it to friends. Nobody cared. Like it was like my dad and I watched Stone Cold and stuff. And then I would just, you know, digest as much of it as I could, but nobody else cared. So it can be kind of like an isolated kind of fandom sometimes, you know. Right, yeah, you're you're almost like uh, like the the way I treated it. You're almost like a secret drug addict. Like <laughs> I had I had no friends to like share this love of wrestling with, other than my two cousins, uh-huh. Colton Clayton. Shout out to them that uh that I that I've grown up with that have basically been like my brothers. They were the only two people that that shared this love with pro wrestling with me, even still to this day. Um, you know, but as far as like the people I ran around with all the time, like when I was at home, I was watching wrestling. If somebody was coming over to hang out, a bunch of people were coming over, I'd say, well, I better turn this shit off because 
<laughs> yeah, I'm just going to have to hear about it. That's bullshit. It sucks, though, yeah, man. I remember, like, wanting to get the merch and things like that, but I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to rock this shirt and nobody's going to get it. And I'm just going to get teased about it or some shit. Like, it's like, kind of sucks. Now, all I rock is like wrestling merch all the time because I don't give a fuck. I'm like a grown ass man who doesn't really care what anybody thinks. So. Right. I, like, I, I completely like connect with that because I, I felt pretty pathetic. I'm like, I want to buy all these shirts. I want to buy all this shit. I want to do this. I want the DX shit. I want the fucking the crotch chop things. I want the yeah. NWO shirts and stuff. Well, I mean, that that was like, for me, that was middle school during the Monday Night Wars. I think I was like 12, 13, going on 14. Mm-hmm. I was still loving pro wrestling, but that was around the time that everybody pretty much started going their separate ways, and I was just sitting here like, what? So I'm just... I'm going to like this shit all by myself now. Like, and, and that's crazy too because the Monday Night Wars was like when it was kind of at its most popular. So you you would have think more people would be getting on the bandwagon. It's weird that when it was kind of at its best, everybody was bailing out on you. At least, at least everybody that I hung out with at the time, as soon as WWE bought WCW, it was, it was a wrap. Everybody yeah. went on and just kind of stayed there like, okay, I guess I'm still here because I love this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh but, man so so then you're you said you're going to independent shows as well at that time uh yeah i went to some um the local promotion for me at that at that age was iwa mid-south oh. and they were still you know they're one of the pioneers of running death matches in america yeah. mm-hmm. um you know they they were running in louisville around the time that i was believe 11 or 12 we're kind of going back and forth in between that that era from when i was like 11 to like i was 16 yeah and like uh they were running in louisville and they eventually got booted from louisville because the athletic commissions did not like all the death matches and all the blood and everything so eventually they got moved to indiana but i actually went to the last IWA show that was in Louisville. Yeah. And that was the first time that I ever saw a deathmatch live. And I think that was probably the first time my dad was like, oh shit, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) Did he take you? Were you like, yeah, we've got to go to this thing? (laughs) Well, I mean, I expected ECW and it was, but there was a lot more blood, you know, a lot more violence. There was little kids giving everybody the finger and (laughs) cussing everybody out. And my dad was like, where in the fuck would I just bring him? I, mean, I, I knew at this was, moment I'd failed as a father. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he probably thought, "Oh shit, this is going to change his life," and it did. But I'm I'm not an idiot. I turned out like a good guy, and yeah. you know, I, but I, I still love all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so much so that you then channeled it into like a business, which is pretty crazy. Like, not a lot of people can do that stuff. So, how do you? start doing shirts and merch did you have like a a background in that stuff before or were you just like a fan and you're like i want to help these guys by getting this stuff out like how does that transition happen so the, the way that i got here is a little crazy um you know again back to the time when i was in high school when i was around 16 or 17 i was involved in the you know the hardcore music scene uh-huh. in louisville and, you know, I was always around merchandise vendors and merch booths and buying shirts and this and that. And I always 
for some reason, I just always gravitated towards wanting to do merchandise. Yeah. And it was always something from the time I was in high school that was always in the back of my head like this. I, I feel like that I would just be really good at this. I'm creative. I can come up with, you know, with cool stuff. You know, I'd never designed anything in my entire life graphically up until like, like two years ago. And, uh, you know, it was just something that I, I always kept in the back of my mind. Like, if I ever got a chance, this is the thing that I'm going to do. But it seemed like the older I got into my late teens, early 20s, mid-20s, it was like I was just working dead-end jobs that I hated, yeah. just trying to get by, moving around from house to house, not really knowing what the fuck I'm doing with my life. Um, and, you know, the big the big turning point for me was actually like the worst time in my entire life. And I turned it into a positive somehow. I still don't know how the hell I did it. Yeah. But, um, about, about two and a half to three years ago, uh, I was working, um, at my job on the assembly line for GE general electric, mm-hmm. um, gigantic appliance plant mm-hmm. in Louisville. And uh, I, I was working on the assembly line, and I hurt my back really bad. And um, I, I was basically just kind of told by the, the medical people there to just kind of shake it off and get back to work. And uh. me not really knowing what the hell was going on, I'm just like, all right, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll push through it. There came a time where I got hurt again. Um, we found out that the the area that I was working on was built for someone who was uh, not only pregnant but a foot and a half shorter than me. So I was doing all kinds of extra stuff that ergonomically I was not supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, when I got hurt the second time, I had basically blown my bottom disc and my spine in half. Oh, Jesus. Bone on bone, uh, I couldn't hardly feel my legs. It basically just like collapsed me, and uh, my job then decided to fire me. <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> Which, yeah, I'm not sure I, that's how that it, works. <laughs> yeah, I don't really either. I, I I remember sitting there thinking, are they are they stupid? Like I'm I've got a pretty high pain tolerance. I've been hurt yeah. in my life, like doing dumb stuff. But uh, like I knew at that moment, like oh shit, I really am hurt right now. Yeah. And I uh, went to the doctor, found out that I needed to get spinal fusion surgery Jeez. in my lower back. Yeah, okay. And um, I had to basically, you know, sue my job. Yeah. And, like, I was about to say, like, I don't know how stuff works in America and, and things like that, but here there's all sorts of, like, work safe laws and liabilities and compensations and stuff like if somebody blows out their back they can depending on thing they can be on compensation like wages paid by their job forever you know kind of thing so like for them to just dismiss you like when you can't do your job because of like their setup and stuff i imagine that yeah you'd have no other course of action right than to pursue them legally yeah. and and just like you were were saying it's it's the same way in the US yeah, wow. You know, there's workers' compensation, there's liability, there's benefits, there's, you know, there's a whole, like, loop of things you're supposed to go through when this happens and a lot of things there to kind of protect you when you can't yeah. work, especially when you're hurt on the job. Yeah. So when they immediately just tried to release me, 
Yeah. It was such a big blow to me that I was just, you know, it was my, my dad who was just kind of like, look, dude, I know you're not that type of person. I know you don't want us to have to sue anybody and do any of that kind of shit. I actually, like, I want not, wanted nothing to do with any of that, but he's like, yeah. they really kind of screwed you. Yeah. So, you know, I had to get spinal fusion surgery, which was really, really rough on me at yeah. the time. Um, it was in my lower back, um, and I got, like, uh, two rods and four screws, and basically they had to take that disc out, and there was no disc in the bottom of my spine, so they had to, you know, screw it together, and the bone had to has to grow all the way through. Yeah. Um, and that started probably the worst almost two years of my entire life. No doubt. Um, you know, it, I don't want to, like, make this a whole sob story, but it was like, it was really bad. Yeah. I, um, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think anybody would take it that way, man. Cause it kind of is like, uh, workplaces have like a responsibility to make sure things are correct, like to take care of their staff. So yeah, you, like your dad too. said, they, <laughs> they fucking screwed you over, man. And like, here you are like in full rehab for an injured back with no support and looking at like forking out money not only for medical treatments but also legal fees to be compensated and the GE are a massive company who could just pay your bills like that you know what i mean yep. but instead they're going to put that energy into paying a lawyer to waste your time for as long as possible is probably how it's going to go you know like yeah and they they pretty much drug me through the mud and made it as absolutely as hard as on me as possible. Like, uh, during this time, like, you know, not only was I not working, my fiance was, was, uh, was forced to take the brunt of all the financial stuff. There was really nothing I could do cause I couldn't even hardly walk. I couldn't get around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so having to deal with that was bad. We almost lost our house. Um, our, uh, our two and a half year old Doberman that we had, randomly got the worst kind of cancer and died oh. right in the middle of this. Like, out of nowhere. I was um, hoping that was the good, the good part. I thought you were about to say something great about the dog. That's, no, really, that's worse, sad. Man. I um, love dogs. God yeah. damn it. Yeah, it, that was that was a really rough one for us. Um, our, my fiance's mother died of a heart attack. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, of course, so we're just... We're just, just feeling it. You're just it. grinding it. it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was... The wor- It was like one of those situations where it was the worst possible moment for absolutely everything. Just rock bottom. And yeah, yeah, dude. I mean, it was as as far as mentally, it was definitely rock bottom because my my recovery was really really bad. It was taking a lot longer than it was supposed to. I wasn't taking to certain things uh, like like I was supposed to, and you know, with everything going on, like I was I was just ready to call it a life dude I've only done hard physical labor my whole life up until this point and now I can't and I'm not even sure how I'm going to end up after this yeah you know recovery of the yeah. surgery um so in, in the middle of all that as clouded as it all was I said I've, I've got to do some shit to kind of get my mind off of everything I've got a lot of time to myself right now. Maybe I'll give this, you know, T-shirt stuff a try and just start doing pre-orders. So I started Double Hell Wrestling Club. 
from my couch, yeah. recovering from back surgery, yeah. trying to do physical therapy and figure out how to walk correctly. And, uh, you know, I was designing stuff on a phone program. I didn't even have a computer at the time. Yeah. Um, I was just doing pre-orders for certain people and just splitting the profits 50-50, mm-hmm. sometimes 60-40, just because I wanted to do something cool for somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, I did that for a little while, and eventually, you know, when the smoke kind of cleared with the whole lawsuit and everything, I thought, oh, man, I've, like, I've got a chance to, like, kind of do something different with my life mm. and take a chance on, on doing something I love because I, I thought I can either go back to, you know, doing these doing a, working for one of these places that, you know, like the one that just screwed me over and changed my life pretty much, mm-hmm. or I can take a chance and try to do something that I love. So, so did they, how long did they drag that all out for? Two um, years. Two years. So like while you're going through the whole rehab for two years, you're also going through court stuff at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, like I said, it, it was, um, you know, I, I hate to even mention them by name, which sucks, but... No, they they need to be mentioned so people can know not to buy they, their fucking products. They made it as difficult on me as they possibly yeah. could. And then in the and, end, what, to, to just settle so it never even really goes to court, they just drag it out for as long as possible, hoping you go away kind of thing. Yeah, and they, they settled eventually because to me there was, you know, there was so much damage done. Like, I still have a little bit of nerve damage in, in one of my legs yeah. that's... it's. You know, I, I'm not crippled because of it or anything, but it's definitely, it's just an annoyance yeah. every day. I still have lower back pain. You know, eventually I was able to fix myself after they basically stopped wanting to help fix me anymore. Yeah. And I did that with a reverse hyperextension machine, a lot of working out, and DDP yoga. Yeah, Shout yeah. out to DDP. And, it's good stuff. Uh, you know, that, was a, that was a long, long process, but... You know, like I said, I realized that once all the legal stuff was over, I I said, man, you know, I'd had the idea for Deathmatch Worldwide probably four or five years before I was like, okay, I can start making merchandise. I just always thought there's all these places to get T-shirts for professional wrestlers. But the only places to get deathmatch shirts are at deathmatch shows. You, yeah. There's there's nowhere online to get them, and I don't know how it is in Australia. I'm sure it's the same because you know deathmatch fans are rabid all over the world. But it's very small States, here, man. Like it, like it's very small to nearly non-existent. Um, there was this show uh, that happened a long time ago. I can't remember the exact year. I'll I'll butcher it. But it's this show called carnage or something like that and it was booked as like a a family friendly show uh and these two guys one of which is a bit of a deathmatch legend who's been to japan and stuff called mad dog uh ended up having like a a massive deathmatch to to finalize it right like 100 thumbtack reigning deathmatch or something like that and the me and like a kid got that was in the front row got blood on him and then it was like in the media like <laughs> this is organized barbarism and it like nearly killed wrestling in australia so like deathmatch down under though there have been hardcore shows and and things like that deathmatch down under that just started are the first 
uh, wrestling organization in Australia to really put a shine on it, which is why I, I put a, I, I put I give them it. a lot of attention because it's like yeah. it hasn't been a thing here, like at all. And like yeah, there's there's no organized like deathmatch merch thing here or whatever. Your site was the first I'd ever seen that uh, gave it like the the attention, you know. Yeah, and you know that you know, like I said, that was just kind of one of the things I wanted to do. Um, you know, and this is coming from from something like not even looking at it from like a business standpoint, like from a personal view. I would go to shows all the time, and I would say, "Oh, look at this shirt! Look at this shirt! I want to buy this shirt." I would go to buy it, and it was sold out. Yeah, like, "Oh, where can I get this?" Well, you'll have to catch me next time at another show. Or shoot me a message; I might be able to sell it to you. And I remember thinking four or five years ago. Dude, if I ever get a chance, I'm gonna run with this thing because, you know, you know, like around here, the, these fans are just so bloodthirsty and rabid and love their deathmatch wrestling because they respect it so much mm-hmm. that they deserve a platform yeah. that you know that that someone can give them. I, I was hoping that I could be that person to do that because, you know, it's. Uh, my whole heart is in this thing. Like I yeah. love deathmatch wrestling. I love professional wrestling. I respect all of these guys so much. And I started going full time with Double Hell Wrestling Club, which is what I had already started. But in the back of my head, the whole time, I was kind of dipping my toes in the water for deathmatch worldwide to yeah. see how much I could handle. And um, you know, I I finally just said I, I was working on it for a while, and I finally just said fuck it. I pulled the trigger at the start of February, and I couldn't be happier. Like I feel like there there was that like I had that big void in me for a long time, wanting to do merchandise. Then I wanted to do wrestling merchandise. I started doing it, but the deathmatch merchandise was escaping me for years. Yeah. And now that I'm doing it, I finally like feel like like this is that thing that that I was supposed to be doing for a long time and I'm going to be doing for the rest of my, rest of my life if I can. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an awesome site, man. And I feel like since I was even on it, like to get that shirt, I feel like your, your roster uh, of wrestlers and, and catalog has drastically increased since I, I last looked at the site. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the original people on here um, are people that I personally know. Um, you know, from Midwest and the U.S., uh, a lot of a lot of the guys on the East Coast, uh, John Wayne Murdoch, Reed Bentley, Madman Pondo, who's an absolute legend. Um, you know, one of my close friends. Um, you know, Drew Chaos, Burning Hammer Photography. Um, the list goes on and on. A, a Schlag, G Raver, all good dudes that, that I either know or I've been in contact with for a long time, and I was. Slowly, Neil Diamond Cutter too. Shout out to him. Um, I, I was slowly like kind of hitting people up and telling them like, "Hey, I got this thing I'm working on. Don't tell nobody." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I was so protective over it and scared that somebody was going to start it before. Me. Like, That's do it I, first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's right, kind of crazy that, that nobody had until first. you when you think about it. Right. Not that I like care about being first or like being a winner or anything yeah. like that shit, but like I just it, it sounds it sounds kind of conceited, but I, I feel like it's confidence. I feel like there was nobody that could do this like I can. Yeah. And and that's just that's just coming from a passion standpoint. 
I understand. And, uh, you know, I've for as long as I can remember, it, it's it's crazy to even to tell somebody, like, I've been wanting to sell a, a, a Matsunaga shirt and, you know, come come up with a Matsunaga shirt that I could sell for him since I was in high school, yeah. like over 15 years. That's crazy for me to say to somebody, but it's 100 fucking percent true (laughs) it's not it's not that crazy though when you think about it because like speaking about like those japanese deathmatch wrestlers and stuff like that their merch is like almost impossible to get over here it's really challenging to get like japanese merch you need to have a buyer in japan get it for you or this like they don't they still tend to do things like pretty old school and they don't uh tend to have like a lot of stuff online so if you can like you know, be that bridge or continue to like expand that catalog and do that stuff. I'm sure there's like a market for other people have been like, I would have loved to have like that shirt my entire life. And here it is. I can buy it, you know, in my currency and have it shipped to me. Like that's pretty amazing. And that's what I'm trying to do. And like you were talking about, you know, me trying to be the bridge to that. That's exactly what I'm trying to do. And in a way that I have to, that bridge was there a long time ago. It could have been, but it's got to be rebuilt. And, you know, one of the things about that is, you know, Japanese are very old school. And when it comes to especially American deathmatch fans, there are way too many bootleggers of yeah. merchandise in America. And I despise bootlegging, especially because... I've worked really hard to, you know, do the things that I have to make sure that that people are getting compensated. And while I've worked really hard to do it, at the same time, it was not that hard to get a hold of somebody. (coughs) Sorry, COVID. (coughs) (laughs) That's what we say now at work if something costs me like COVID. (laughs) Uh, It's not that hard to reach out to somebody and and hunt them down and find them and just try to see if there's some kind of deal you can work out with them. Like, you know, American bootleggers are one of the main reasons why there's not Japanese distribution all over the world, especially in America, because it's all about honor and respect to them. And, that's very disrespectful and dishonorable yes. to them to just blatantly steal. Yeah. And that's, you know, been one of the hardest things I've had to work on is build trust with so many people. And, and I've got a lot of shit that I have been working on for months and months and months. I'm just waiting for, for, for things to go through, but I promise I'm, I'm opening up pipelines all over the world right now. So it's, it's, I've been really hard at work at it. Yeah. That's glorious, man. If, if I, uh, if I'm somebody that's listening to this and, and I am a deathmatch wrestler or, uh, an independent wrestler that wants to, you know, get on double hell wrestling or, or on deathmatch worldwide, what, um, how do they go about contacting you? And also, do they need to bring you a design or you do designs or, or both options are there? How does that whole process work? So while Double Hell Wrestling Club and Deathmatch Worldwide are both similar, they're both really different as far as how they're ran. Um, Double Hell Wrestling Club is basically, um, you know, as far as just the straight independent wrestling, there was, 
you know, pro wrestling tees pretty much saturated the entire market. You know, any pro wrestler can open up a store with them, and you know they'll sell their merch. Uh, there, there's another um, company called Water Maneuver. Shout out to Water Maneuver. Um, and I, I just thought there's no reason for me to do that because somebody else is already doing that. It's it's not going to really stand out much. So I kind of treated Double L Wrestling Club as a clothing brand, mm-hmm. and it's just got a small hand-picked roster yeah. on it. Um, so, you know, nothing special. I'm not saying, like, this person's good, this person's not. Mm-hmm. It's just this was just somebody that I wanted to work with, and I've just kind of kept the roster small with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do pretty much, like, 90% of the designs for Double Hell Wrestling Club just because my brand is attached to it. Uh-huh. And everything, and the guys that are on there have been extremely awesome to work with, extremely loyal. Um, you know, Mance Warner, Tony Deppin, all great friends of mine. Uh, Manders, AJ Gray. Um, I was able to nail down officially licensed merchandise for uh, the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, who's also a good friend of mine now. Uh-huh, awesome. And also through the mighty, mighty and legendary Bruiser Brody. Um, through his family, which was a, a tear-jerking moment for yeah. me, to say the least. No doubt. And uh, so so that's kind of where Double Hell is. It, it's cool. It's, Double Hell kind of is what it is. It's it's a clothing brand with a small roster. It's it's not as wide open as, as everything else. Now, um, you know, you can find any of that merchandise, uh, DoubleHell.com, um, on Instagram, at DoubleHellWC. I don't have a Facebook for that. I have a Twitter at Double Hell WC, but I I don't really like social media too much, especially Twitter. I feel like Twitter is a cesspool <laughs> of negativity, uh, and I, I want get nothing it. to do with it. Mm. But uh, as far as the Deathmatch stuff is concerned, um, Deathmatch Worldwide was created with more of a wide open policy in a sense of what those other brands like What a Maneuver and Pro Wrestling Tees are doing to where if you are a deathmatch wrestler, even in your first year, if you've only had a couple matches, if you're a legendary, you know, deathmatch fighter who is retired, as long as you're, you know, been primarily a deathmatch wrestler or your heart is in deathmatch wrestling, you can 110% hit me up, open up a store. Um, you know, it's pretty much it. Everybody gets paid the same across the board. There's no favoritisms. There's no percentages. I wanted to make sure that everybody could make that's on there that, you know, selling merch that they could, that they could make the most they could without me losing any money because I've heard some horror stories from other companies that do stuff like this. And now that I'm kind of doing the same thing, I can see, Hey, you're really cutting a corner right there. You're, Hey, you're ripping that person off. And that's really not fair. That's, you know, I'm doing this shit because I love it, not to make money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while the, the, the main goal is to, of course, um, be able to, you know, make a living doing something awesome that I love, the other main goal is to make sure that these guys and girls are, are supported and compensated the way that they deserve to be. And so. if anybody knows anything about not being correctly supported and compensated, it's you. 
So I'm sure that that's something that you uh, take very seriously. Just in getting to know you today and, you know, where, when you start to hear somebody's story and look them in the eye and, and understand what they're about, I can tell you somebody that takes that pretty seriously, you know. Like, uh, you know, yeah, like my I'm, – I'm very serious when it comes to uh, – Loyalty and, you know, just kind of doing the right thing, not being a shithead. Mm-hmm. You know, wrestling, like a lot of other niche circles in the world, are just full of shitheads that just want to take advantage of you and lie to you. And I couldn't tell you how many times I've I've hit up different wrestlers to say, hey, uh, if you want the opportunity to make some merch, you know, let me know. I can sell it for you and ship it, and I can make you some money and this and that, and most of them will either ignore me or... Or, uh, you know, say, yeah, okay, you're full of shit. I've heard that before. Yeah, heard it a thousand times from from a thousand people, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I I get it. I completely understand. For the most part, there's a lot of people that don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. And to them, I'm just some random fan. Mm -hmm. Or they think I'm a mark or something that's just hitting them up. Like, hey, man, I want to make some merch for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I, I don't blame them. You know, a lot of of wrestlers, especially the ones who've been around – for a long time they've been burned a million times they've heard that a yeah. million times and it's like they there's nothing there so all i can do is plant the seed and say hey remember that i hit you up keep your ears open keep your eyes open i'll talk to you in the future if you still want to do it i'm always here uh you know and just just hope that they can see the work that i put into this and hopefully the good reputation that i that I'm very proud to have with a lot of friends and a lot of people in the wrestling business uh, that you know they want to take a chance with me, and that's that's all I really ask for. Just take a chance with me. I promise I will do everything I can to make you happy, at least. Yeah, yeah. And from well, from what I can see as well, you put in a lot of work, really, for anybody that I mean is just putting up a shirt and stuff. It's not even that huge a risk for them. You know what I mean? You just you you're doing all the work. They really just need to. Uh, you know, put their name to it. And that, that's the whole thing. And that can be risky for some people. But, I mean, when you have a look at the roster that you've got uh, with how big the site's getting and how good the reputations are, uh, the risk kind of decreased pretty exponentially um, with the work that you're doing, you know, and how it speaks for itself. And, you know, a part of it, I kind of feed off of it because I know that I, I, I can't... I can't cut any corners. I can't half-ass this. I can't not take this seriously because this is something that I've loved and is a part of my life for as long as I could walk. Yeah. And it would I would be doing such a disservice to you know not only the stuff that I love but to myself if I would just you know half-ass this whole thing. So it really drives me and kind of puts pressure under me and lights a fire under my ass when I get a hold of some legend like Matsunaga, which is still just un- completely unreal to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I just, I'm going to sell the shit out of your shirt, dude. Yeah. yeah. Don't <laughs> I'm worry. i make you as much money as I can. I, I got you. This is, <laughs> this is going to be killer. Hang on. I've got to click on the Matsunaga link right now. I've got it right here. Awesome. Oh, yeah. That's banging. That was uh, designed by legendary Japanese artist Sei Ozawa. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Ozawa son. He is an uh, wow. amazing dude. And uh, you, you probably recognize Ozawa's artwork. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I mean, he's, 
he's probably one of the most the number one like sought after designer for deathmatch wrestling shirts all over the world. The guy yeah. is ridiculously amazing and talented. Oh, it it looks so cool. Everybody should check that out. That's absolutely awesome. Uh, any plans for, or, or are there any other Japanese deathmatch guys that you're currently pursuing? All of them. All of them. <laughs> I was about to say, without giving anything away. And, and you know, language barriers and things are uh, a, you know, can be challenging. But man, like dudes like Takeda and Jun Kasai constantly release fire merch that's never available yes. like <laughs> anywhere. Well, so that would be killer. I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty. I'm usually pretty. Uh, private with how like I handle things and it's not because it's not like because I don't, I don't want people to know but it's just like I just don't really ever talk about what I'm doing I'm just like yeah yeah, well, doing it. yeah, yeah absolutely mm-hmm. but the as, as far as like the newer guys that are deathmatch wrestlers in Japan it is very hard to get them to do anything outside of Japan because yeah. they're not independent contractors like a lot of wrestlers are in the United States mm-hmm. they're employed by the company yeah so so you've got like you'd need to go through freedoms or go through big japan or whatever yep not saying that i'm not already currently doing that but (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's uh it's it's taking a lot of work and and imagine uh, that though how how cool would that be if you could just do like the freedoms roster like you know like yeah that's what i'm trying man I, i i want Everyone, not just current. I want legends. I want the pioneers that helped build this art that we love so much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you really get into the thick of it and start, you know, looking for people to contact to let them know that this is an option for them, you start to realize, like, holy shit, this list is, like, <laughs> it's growing <laughs> ridiculously long. And, and so, do you do you? I know you said that this is like full time for you. Do you print this stuff in in house, or have you got like a an operation that does that for you? How does that work? So, uh, one of the things about um, what I was talking about being able to kind of take a chance on a new life, like once the smoke cleared on all the the bullshit that I dealt with, mm-hmm. is I invested into my future. I completely like refinished like part of my house and um bought all the equipment oh that's this super low ceiling you were showing me here we go (laughs) (laughs) and uh was able to build a shop and um at your exact height (laughs) (laughs) no more no less I blame that on the really old neighborhood that we live in. Right, right. Actually, when the the contractor was here building everything, he said, holy shit, I think your house got built, like, accidentally. What do you mean? (laughs) Your your ceiling is, like, a foot and a half shorter than, like, every house in the neighborhood is supposed to be. (laughs) When we started this call for anybody that wasn't listening, we've just jumped into a personal joke we had. uh, Corey was standing here, so he's like, look how low my ceiling is. And it's just, like, above his head. He could just, like, tap it. Yeah, so the, the contractor was very worried about putting yeah. up drywall. He kind of wanted to leave it open so I would have more room. And I'm like, no, put it in. I don't give a shit. I need lights and all that stuff down here. Yeah, And uh, it's not too bad. It's probably a uh, little more than a foot over my head. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
I, I make it work. I just I try not to get too excited and raise my arms down here. Yeah, exactly. But, no raising the roof um, in the, in the, in the house. <laughs> but basically, um, I, I I purchased uh, all the equipment for uh, to be able to print on demand, uh, direct to garment DTG printing, uh-huh. and um, one of the uh, the thing you know I I had a lot of downtime to kind of research what I was going to do. I love screen printing. Uh-huh. I love screen printing. I also screen print, but with the kind of demand that it puts on your lower back screen printing, yeah, I didn't I really want to continue to just punish my lower back while I'm in such good health right now. Yeah. So I thought DTG would be an easier option, but DTG is hard in its own right. It gets a very bad rap mm-hmm. um, that you know people think you're just a button pusher. And uh, I wish I wish it was that easy. Uh, there's so much more science and so many more processes involved in it. Um, it is very accommodating when it comes to print time. It's awesome. I will say that. Um, you know, with there not being setups and and whatnot. But uh, you know, places like <laughs> Pro Wrestling Tees. And uh, a few other like uh, like Asian fulfillment sites and stuff where you can just kind of order a one-off shirt. Uh-huh. The the quality is sometimes fifty-fifty, and I knew that DTG had gotten a bad rap because of that, mm-hmm. and I knew that it was there was a lot more that it was that it was capable of given the right set of eyes. So I spent thousands of dollars. Well, let me. Let me rephrase that. I wasted thousands of dollars trying to kind of master this process the best way that I could over a course of like a year and a half. And, you know, there was a lot of people that were naysayers when they were ordering things from me saying, oh, man, a, a DTG stuff, man, I I don't know about it. It's quality's not real good and this and that. I'm like, just give me an opportunity to prove you wrong. And there's... I haven't got a complaint once. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if there has been a complaint, I haven't heard it. And if dude, the printing is killer quality. Like I said, I've got a Neil Diamond Cutter shirt uh, that that you sent me, and it's on there, right? Eh? Like it, it's solid. And I can't say that for all the wrestling merch I've ordered from all over the place. You know, I've got ones where the 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 logos are are already coming off, or you open it out of the package. Oh, yep, cool. Great, I've got my new shirt. And you open it and it's like stuck together and it kind of tears apart yeah. a bit and part of the yeah. thing. There was none of that. It's it's a quality shirt on like a, a heavy-duty fabric. Like I, I really liked it. I thought I, I could I tell. I appreciate that, man. It's it's uh, It's been something I've like tirelessly worked on to kind of, you know, get the, the quality to the point where you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between any other type of printed shirt. And, uh, you know, what I, I really don't understand, but for some for some reason people assume that DTG is, like, like, uh, like ironed on. Okay. And it's, like, it can, like, peel off. And I, I don't, I don't know why it's gotten that reputation because it's, like, it is printed just, like, you know, like a screen printed shirt. It's yeah. just printed using a machine. Yeah. And uh, you know, it has to be cured into the fabric and, and the ink has to be cured and everything and it's just I'm not saying one's better than the other because I screen print and I do DTG. Mm-hmm. But 
they both have their their place, and I, I'm very proud with what I've been able to uh, accomplish as far as like changing some people's mind on the process and 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 trusting it and and actually like wanting things printed this way. So and 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 for a print uh, for for a shop where you sell 200 different types of T-shirts that can be ordered at any time, this is the only way for that process to be able to work. Being able to print one-off shirts one at a time, every time they come in. So, I'm extremely happy with it. It's taken a lot of work, and I just want people to know that I have like, I have put my knuckles into the ground to try and and get this correctly. There's been a lot of, lot of headaches, a lot of me uh, accidentally punching the ceiling because I was too mad. <laughs> it's not hard and, to do. Um, <laughs> very not hard to do. Uh, I actually sneezed and just knocked my head on the ceiling. Oh, uh, no, but uh, I'm like just tirelessly working to do this because between Double Hell Wrestling Club and Deathmatch Worldwide, I also print custom orders for, for people that hit me up and, and a lot of people locally. It's not my favorite thing to do. Yeah. But it helps pay the bills, and I'm glad it's there when uh, I need to. But I, I, I really want my priority to be wrestling merchandise. Yeah. So I've, I've, uh, I've really kind of started the fire, and I'm just trying to spread it right now. So yeah, that's, exactly. That's the hardest part. Well, keep grinding, man. I think your your work ethic and your attitude shines through. So people won't be able to help themselves but support you. And like, do yourself a favor if you've been on the fence about buying a shirt, uh, if there's a certain one that you want, just hit the button, order it, and check it out. You won't be sad about the quality. I'm absolutely stoked with mine. It, it's killer, man. And yeah, I look forward to seeing what else you, you've got coming down the pike. Now, at the end of my podcast, I've been doing kind of like a fun game where I ask people uh, what they're feeling in wrestling for the week. But for you, I want to change it up a little bit. So um, if you if you could release like any shirt or have somebody signed on and there was a wrestler, you could just do a custom design and work with them personally. Who, who's your golden goose, man? Like, I know you you said uh, Matsunaga was a big one for you. Is there there anybody that ticking them off would be, just be like, huh, this is the one? Um, Kind of like, that's kind of like a two-part answer because mm-hmm. uh, my favorite professional wrestler of all time, hands down, is Bruiser Brody. And somehow I was able to right, accomplish that. Yep. Like, oh, well, there, there you go. Very, <laughs> yeah, like very early and yeah. it's still completely unreal to me, sometimes to the point where I have to, like I forget and I have to sit there and go, holy shit, you make officially licensed merchandise for your favorite wrestler of all time. I don't know how the fuck I did that, but I did it. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's obviously was the was the main one. Um the other one I would have to say probably mm, Terry Funk, yeah. maybe, mm-hmm. um, which, crazy enough, that almost became a reality um, this year. He actually called me on the phone wow. last summer, which was a really... Like, almost pissed my pants type moment <laughs> because I was not expecting it. Yeah. I didn't even know that was going to happen, which that was a whole other crazy story in itself. Uh-huh. But um, 
Yeah, probably Terry Funk or, or uh, Mr. Pogo. Yeah. So, and and of course, any of the 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 more recent in the last ten years at least big names, June Kasai, Masashi Takeda. I would love love no more than to work with those guys because I know that they would sell so much merchandise in the United States that it's not even funny. Just and, it would be crazy and there'd be so many people that would be happy to to see it like to be able to access it you know right right yeah and and currently in the middle of trying to make that happen so it's it's not it's it's not very easy it's it's very frustrating at times because of the language barrier yeah and just uh because you you got to kind of have a you got to kind of have a middleman to go back and forth which uh Shout out to uh, Taka Freebirds from Freebird Shop in Japan, and shout out to Seozawa from Japan because those guys have been uh, amazing in, in helping me build the bridge between the U.S. and Japan. And uh, but getting getting the building trust with them has been the hardest part, and that you know relationship like that takes a lot of time. So they're not just gonna let some kid from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> No, you know, and, and, and it's hard, right? Like, if if COVID wasn't a thing, you could potentially just get on a plane and go have a conversation. You know what I mean? Go meet them, and then they could look you in the eye, and even there'd be somebody there to translate, but they would understand, like, and see how genuine you are. Um, I haven't met Kasai, but I have met Takeda a couple of times, and he's very nice, and he does speak... A, on, your picture, on your picture on Facebook, you had a picture with Takeda, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. That was the, the very first time I met him, uh, um, which was at uh, Karakun Hall show for Big Japan. But then I saw him a couple of times at Freedom shows in uh, Shankiba First Ring as well. So he got to recognize me because I'm the only guy with a red beard like <laughs> in the building multiple times, you know, kind of thing. And he is limited English, you know what I mean, but but... All those guys are like the sweetest dudes ever. Like the entire roster, you know what I mean? You, you think they're all terrifying and stuff, but they're all so nice and waving to people and smiling and signing photos covered in blood like maniacs. Like, And I know that it, like, if you ever get that opportunity to meet them face-to-face, like you'll, you'll have a great time and there'd be no question you'd be able to get something going, you know? Yeah, uh, you know, again, it's... I feel like I just I, I kind of push a lot of confidence out in myself, knowing, mm-hmm. you know, that I could get something done if somebody just gives me the opportunity to have a few minutes to just talk to them, and just just kind of let them know, like, hey, if you give me this opportunity, I, I promise I'm gonna do, I'm gonna die before I let whatever we're trying to work out fail. Um, you know, I I almost had an opportunity. Uh, being friends with, uh, being good friends with Madman Pondo. Shout out to Madman Pondo. Um, I don't know if he's been on your show or not. Uh, he hasn't yet. I would love to speak to him at some point. But you should get that guy on there because that guy is just full of stories, full no of knowledge. Doubt. He's just a generally awesome dude. Probably the most selfless dude I've ever met. Yeah. Um, just going out of his way to do ridiculously awesome shit to help. Uh, no, you know, not not just me, but uh, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had an opportunity to get booked again in Japan because he's been in Japan a million times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's a big celebrity over there. Yeah, no doubt. And um, and uh, then COVID happened, and uh, but before then, he had asked me. You know, he told me I could go with him if I wanted to. So I was 
kind of tossing around in my head, like, oh, shit, I might get to actually go to Japan, and I'd be going with Madman Pondo. That'd That's be crazy. Crazy, and, yeah. Yeah, COVID happened, like, literally, like, a week after he told me that. Sorry. So, um, so yeah, yeah. Um, that would have been a really big opportunity for me. I almost went over with some friends that were going with GCW when GCW toured in Japan for a couple of shows, but my back was still trash and not healed yet so i had to pass that up too so i'll, I'll make it there eventually yeah. we'll get there man like uh, we'll i know we'll be back as soon as it, it's possible and you, you'll get there eventually uh when you do do yourself a favor and go check out mr danger's steakhouse yeah oh for sure yeah which if i could request uh, a merch item if you were able to do a mr danger steakhouse t-shirt uh you got my money in 10 seconds <laughs> and for anybody listening that is something that i have tirelessly been working to try and imagine talk uh, imagine uh, a mr danger steakhouse line of merchandise where like it would just be so killer well, he, done, get me an apron Corey. He did a couple Mr. Danger Steakhouse like shirts that were designed by Seozawa, but were more like they were more wrestling shirts that mentioned you know Mr. Danger Steakhouse. Like I want, I want a Steakhouse shirt. <laughs> yeah, I want the logo on the front of the store with his head yes. and the Japanese yeah. writing. I want that on a shirt. And uh, I've eaten there, yeah. and it was one of the best steaks I've ever had. It was that's what I hear. Awesome. It was so good, and I've been to Ribera too. But I I preferred Mr. Danger's just because, I don't know, the atmosphere was like, they're they're both kind of the same, Japanese steakhouse kind of things like that. They're like in and out, you know, people kind of line up and you sort of get in and you get your steak and you kind of side and you eat it and then you get out, you know, you're not really hanging out in there and stuff. And Ribera was really cool, the original one, but like, I don't know, Mr. Danger's was just wicked. It just had like this cool vibe and this like, you know, Signed stuff by wrestlers everywhere. And there, I mean, there is at Ribera too, but I don't know. There was just something about Mr. Dangers I really liked, and I felt that the steak was better. He had a nicer sauce as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to He know. had some kind of That's like, I, d- I don't even know what it was. It was just some kind of thing you dip in, and it was wicked. I don't know what it was. That's been the general answer from, from most people that I know that have been to Japan. That, that Of course, they they always go to both. They go to Ribera and they go to Mr. Dangers. And almost every person that's done both of those has told me Mr. Dangers just not necessarily that it's just like so much of a better restaurant, but the mix between the food being so good and the atmosphere. They, they, it's they very like small and kind of family. Good. Like you could tell it's like just like this small team and stuff. Whereas um uh. Even the original Ribera's, though it's old, like it was a huge line and stuff. Like you, you got to wait, and it's cool to see like the photos and things like that. But yeah, Mister Dangers is the one man. So I would love that. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, when when I first be, because uh, Ozawa has been pretty much my middleman between me and 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 uh, Matsunaga, and uh, you know, they, Matsunaga said if this shirt sells well, there will be many more to come. And the shirt is selling pretty well. Hear that, right everybody? Now. Buy the Matsunaga shirt. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean that goes for for just about anybody, especially yeah. when it comes to all the legend stuff on here. Yeah. If you buy their shit, there's going to be way more of it. I promise you that. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I, one of the things I told Ozawa, I said, you have to talk him into letting me do a Mr. Danger Steakhouse shirt. Yeah. There's no way around it. I have to get this done. Like, I'm now demanding things. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like, it will be done. I'll do all the work. You just give me the gray light, and it's got it's yeah, gone. It's like, I, I, can't, I, I can't go to Japan and eat there like I've dreamt about for years. Can you please just give me this one thing? I promise it'll yeah. be awesome. Imagine getting awesome. to walk in there and give him one yourself. It'd be, it'd be legendary. Oh, my God. I, I I dream about that moment all the time, like especially with a lot of these people. I got to meet Necro Butcher a while back and wow. have lunch with him, oh, and I got to hand him some shirts. And coolest coolest guy, really really misunderstood <laughs> in the United States as far as his uh, <laughs> political views and and things that he says online. Most of it, I, I feel like he's trolling on a lot of it just to yeah. get people fired up. But uh-huh. ridiculously nice guy. Uh-huh. That's good, man. Hey, thanks for your time, dude. This has been a killer conversation. It's been awesome getting to know you, man. Like, and, and I wish you all the success in the world. Everybody, get onto deathmatchworldwide.com, buy those shirts, cop that Matsunaga shirt, like, and just show Corey uh, all the support you can. What's uh, all the social media one more time, my dude? Uh, for Double Hell Wrestling Club, it is doublehell.com, Instagram, at doublehellwc, Twitter, which I don't like to use too much, at Double Hell WC. Um, for Deathmatch Worldwide, it is deathmatchworldwide.com. Um, Instagram, at deathmatchworldwide. Facebook.com slash deathmatchworldwide. And if you are a deathmatch wrestler, whether it's your first year, first match, your legend, whatever, if you are a family member of you know someone in a deathmatch who has passed away and you are interested in selling your merchandise and need a place to do it where you can get a decent cut of money and have somebody taking care of all the business end of everything for you and printing and shipping and get everything out, hit me up. I'm Corey Higdon on Facebook, or you can send an email to deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. I do all of this stuff by myself. It's a lot to take on right now. Uh, but at this rate, I'll be able to hire somebody as well as updating a lot of the processes to speed everything along. Uh, in the next six months or so. So I'm here for Deathmatch. I'm here for Deathmatch wrestlers, Deathmatch companies, managers, promotions, all of it. Deathmatchworldwide.com. Find me on social media. Deathmatchworldwide at yahoo.com. Shoot me an email. We'll figure something out. Yeah, boy. Let's do it. And he'll get it to you, man. He works hard. He got it to me in like the middle of a pandemic. It was like amazing. So (laughs) he's out there grinding. So for Corey Higdon from Deathmatch Worldwide, for Faces and Feels cast, thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about peace, love, and pro wrestling. Peace out, Corey. Thank you for having me on, brother. I appreciate it. Anytime, my man. Peace. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Faces and Feels. Check us out on social media, at Faces Feels Cast on Instagram, at Faces Feels Cast on Twitter, or send us an email to facesandfeels at gmail.com. Until then, peace out.
Thanks everyone for listening. This has been Faces and Feels. Check us out on social media at Faces Feels Cast on Instagram, at Faces Feels Cast on Twitter, or send us an email to facesandfeels at gmail.com. Until then, peace out.